Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. My name is Robin Robertson, and I'm the creator and host of this podcast, as well as an unschooling mom to two kids. And we have been on this journey since we started world schooling, uh, but we've been on this journey now for nine years and counting. So I'm happy you're here to share in the stories and inspiration that I get to recognize and feature on this show. So first, I would like to say if you are a regular listener or you've just started listening and you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review. You can go to iTunes to leave a review. It always helps the podcast to be seen and heard by more families that are looking for examples, inspiration, and information on learning outside of the walls of the classroom or creating their own unique learning journey. I also have a Patreon community. Patreon.com slash Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids is the way that you can connect to that Patreon community. And not only does it help support the podcast and everything that I'm creating and, and what we put into it, but as well, it's also a fantastic resource if you're looking for more support. Uh, I offer live Q&As each month, as well as access to downloads that support home education and unschooling, um, Q- other Q&As and videos that I host or am a part of. Uh, you will know I had done a series of unschooling Q&As with Judy Arnell and Golda David last year, and we will be continuing them again, but you can access all of those on Patreon, as well as unreleased recordings from our any clubhouse rooms or other episodes too, and early recordings, early bird recordings for episodes. So go to patreon.com slash honey, I'm homeschooling the kids. Or you can also go to my show notes and there's always links in the show notes as well. Uh, another way, if you're looking for support, I do offer one-on-one coaching and you can contact me directly through that, if you're looking for support through your deschooling process, getting clarity on your values and purpose, finding your way in your homeschooling year and are uncertain how to get into the flow or rhythm and to lay a, a, a soft structure or soft um, ideas out for with your family. I'm not saying for your family, but with your family for your year ahead. So that's another way I offer support. And I will be running another masterclass in January. Um, I think it's time. I I hear a lot of parents that are asking for support that also need a little bit of um, guidance in the direction that they're deciding to take uh, and a little bit more information. And the masterclass, the last one was wonderful. I learned a lot and it's a great way to learn to connect with community. So if you're looking for that as well, the masterclass will be running in January. If you're interested, you can join the wait list. So you can DM me through any of my social media channels, Instagram at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids or on Facebook or through my website, my contact page, or just email me. My email is in the show notes. And just let me know it's for the masterclass waitlist. And I will put you on that list. And then I will be in contact soon with further information. And I will be releasing more specific details about the class soon as well. Okay, so there's all of that stuff now. And now I want to talk about this wonderful episode that you have here to listen to. It's with Amber O'Neill Johnston. And Amber was, you know, she I was excited to have Amber and she was wonderful as Amber Amber is. If you are not familiar with Amber O'Neill Johnston, I encourage you to go to her website, heritagemom.com or her Instagram. She has a fantastic Instagram, Heritage Mom Blog. And you can learn more about Amber, but she is a writer, speaker, and world schooling mom 
who blends living books with life-giving books and a culturally-rich environment for her four kids and others that are seeking to do the same. So Amber offers a great amount of resources and information and encouragement um, for every homeschooling parent on this journey. And I always, I follow, I followed her for a while. I love following her. And if you're not already familiar with her, I think you will as well. So today we had a great conversation. We talked about um, how her family came into homeschooling. I got to hear a little bit more of her story, which I wasn't familiar with as of yet. The reasons why they continue to homeschool and how their homeschool eventually started to shift and and really embrace more of who they are as well. Through what she shares and does, Amber is raising black kids to love themselves. And I love what she talks about in this episode as well. She says, really, it's about living people and supporting and raising living people that rank above the living books. So listen in and let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Okay, so today I have Amber O'Neill Johnston with me. Welcome, Amber. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have you here today. Well, thank you for having me. I've really been looking forward to today. Fantastic, because I am as well. So <laughs> it always makes it even better. If you are just being introduced to Amber, Amber O'Neill Johnston is a writer, speaker, and world schooling Charlotte Mason mama who blends living books with life-giving books and a culturally rich environment for her four children and others seeking to do the same. She recommends we offer children opportunities to see themselves and others reflected in their lessons and especially throughout their books. And she's known for sharing literary mirrors and windows on heritagemom.com and at Heritage Mom blog on Instagram. Thank you, Amber. Welcome. Thank you. So this is also, I, I usually tell everyone who comes to my podcast that this podcast I created because, well, for a few things, as a new homeschooling mom at one time, I had so many questions and concerns and fears that I was trying everyone everywhere to get them answered. And as I met ho more homeschooling parents, I realized that they had very many similar questions to my own. And I thought this was just a great platform to get answers to those questions, to ease some fears, to share stories and inspiration from others that have created their family's own unique learning journey and also to build community as well. So I thought today that maybe we can talk a little bit first about your journey into homeschooling and to where your family is today. So you have four kids. Why That's did right. you choose? Yeah. Why did you choose <laughs> homeschooling? Were you mm -hmm. homeschooled or like how did that how did that come into your life? Yes, not at all. And not only was I not homeschooled, both of my parents were principals in the public school system really? my whole life. Yeah. So, I did not know right. that. Okay. Yeah. So it, was a, it wasn't something that was on my radar at all. Um, I had never met anyone who had been homeschooled or who was homeschooling their children. Um, it was something that my husband brought to me when our oldest was Four. And when he first mentioned it, I, he was smiling when he said it. I don't know if it was like nervous, you know, a nervous giggle or something, but I just burst out laughing. I thought it was the most hilarious <laughs> idea ever because I thought he was just being silly. Of course, we're not going to homeschool. Um, we were both products of public education and um, it was just not something that I felt was I didn't even think it was an option. It wasn't something I thought of and then rejected. It never even entered into my mind. Right. And so we first started homeschooling um, originally because uh, for two basic reasons. Um, our daughter, of course, I find now that all parents think this about their oldest child, their first child, but we were <laughs> like, she's precocious and she's so smart and she's so ready to start academically. But she was spunky and didn't want to sit in her seat. And she was like kind of like a wildflower or a little butterfly flitting all around. And so we knew that it wasn't, she wasn't going to be a good candidate for just going and sitting in a traditional classroom. Um, and, you know, we even had some things that seem so silly now, but my, she's very tall even now. And my husband walked into her classroom one day when she was in a little mommy's morning out and 
uh, he said, it looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger with all these little Danny DeVitos. And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) so he was like, this girl has got to start school. What's going on here? You know, and just it, it, you know, now I just think about how not important. The reasons we started have nothing to do with why we've continued. And the reasons we've Mm. continued have been that um, we have been able to really cater something to each of our individual children. And the older they get, the more I see just how individual they are. One thing that really um, stands out to me my children, my oldest is 12 and the next one is 10, they're eight, and eight and then six this month. And those two older ones, I see that they are still very much this reflections of who they were as even toddlers and preschoolers. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of that um, comes from the idea that we've been able to follow them a little bit more than them getting on board with exactly what we state. Um and the way things need to happen or or um, how things have to be. And so we've continued to homeschool because we've seen that we can go as quickly or slowly and we can go here or there, zig and zag, left or right, according to what each child needs. And we've also continued to homeschool because we've provided, um, found a way to provide a really culturally affirming and environment for our children, especially while they're young and forming their identities. So those are not reasons I can honestly say that we started, but that's kind of what has kept us going. Okay. Okay. So my first question is going back to when your husband brought that to you and you, and then as it seems like you guys kind of sorted through that information and, you know, thought about it and reflected and saw your daughter and your parents who are both principals. Mm-hmm. What was their feedback on that? Did you bring bring it to them and say, you know, actually, we're going to homeschool. We're going to um, keep our kids at home. Did right. they have any any reflections, suggestions, or feedback for you? Yes, I think at the beginning, you know, for me to say, oh, I'm going to homeschool K-4, and I kind of say it jokingly now, but I took it very seriously, and and it was serious. I was deciding to basically get off the train that all my friends were on, and it was a big deal to me. And so um, we actually paid to enroll her in this really, like, um, prestigious preschool near our home, and we lost that deposit and everything when we made this choice. So I think everyone was fine with it at first because it was pre-K. They were like, oh, whatever. And then it was like, well, it's kindergarten. That's not even, you know, required in our state. My mom was like, oh, I didn't, my siblings and I, we didn't even go to kindergarten. That wasn't even a thing. It's fine. But when first grade came and I didn't enroll her in first grade, (laughs) I think that's where people were like, okay, enough of the jokes. Like, what are you doing really? (laughs) And um, we just talked about it and I asked for the concerns and my mom was best able to articulate the concerns as this. As a principal, public school principal, she got to see a lot of the negative sides of homeschooling. The two things that she saw were that when a parent gets mad or doesn't like something, they snatch their kids out of school. And then the other thing she got to see is that when a parent has been doing essentially nothing or a child has been neglected for a number of years and because of the courts or because of another reason, they're forced to bring the kid to school and drop them off. The child doesn't know anything. They're so far behind and all of that. So those were her views of homeschoolers. And so no right. wonder that, you know, she was like, what are you doing? And I explained to her, I was like, mom, because of your circumstances, you've seen these far, these outliers and you've only, only seen it from one perspective. I was like, that is not typical of homeschooling. In fact, there is no typical when it comes to homeschooling. But the one thing that most of us share is a deep abiding love and concern for our children. Um, and so once she started to see, um, you know, they say the proof is in the pudding. And so she would come down and visit and get an opportunity to see the kids in action and all the different things they were involved in um, and just the passions that they have. And she's like, oh, okay, never mind. I'm a huge proponent of this. <laughs> and so her entire views have changed and she's actually... Um, She's one of my biggest supporters. And one thing that I think is really important because I've tried to do this with my kids as well. What she told me at the time was that I'm not a huge supporter of homeschooling, but I'm a huge supporter of you. And so if that's Mm. what you're choosing to do, then I'm behind it. Mm. Oh, that's, oh man. I feel like I want to give your mom a hug right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, um, you know, it's interesting because that is what I hear from other educators as well. Uh, usually their experience with homeschooling is a negative one. It's usually they have a child who comes to their class who, for some reason, wasn't, you know, quote unquote, successful in homeschooling and therefore they've come back to school or they've come back to school because they need extra help that a school might be able to give them. And therefore, it's kind of always a catch up or extra support. And it's it's the outliers many times. They don't get to see the positive aspects of homeschooling or the families that are striving and thriving, <laughs> striving to do well and are thriving and doing well. Um, so it is nice to have those examples out there for them to see that it's not doesn't all look this one way, that there are many variances and diversities and successful, and, and I say successful with quote, air quotes, because I think how we define success, how each family defines success is unique to them as well. It's given their circumstances and what is what their values and what's true for them is. But um, I think it's important for everyone, including educators, to hear that story, those stories too. So for um, sure, I yeah. agree with you. So, so thank you. And that's another reason why I love what you do and what you create as well, because it's another shared example of a family. Like you said, the, the majority of homeschoolers, their reason is that um, they they have a deep abide, abiding love for their children. And it's about the stronger foundation and values of connection and love that override the checklists and, you know, academic requirements uh, with with school or, or learning in a certain way. So, yeah, I think that's truly powerful. So talking about that and what you do as well, uh, why no, I I'd sent you a quote that I is from your website. I think it's on your blog. And you'd said you were mm-hmm. raising black kids to love themselves and others. Mm-hmm. So, and that is something that you mentioned as well. One of the reasons why you're continuing to homeschool mm-hmm. because, you know, you really want to provide culturally affirming and, and a culturally affirming environment. So mm-hmm. how do you do that? And why? Tell us more. How did this mm-hmm. become a very strong value and guiding purpose for you? Okay. Um, that's a really good question. So in the beginning, I wasn't focused on that. I was focused on, um, definitely like the magic of childhood and having a slow childhood and lots of time spent in nature and great books and, um, leaning into our community. And so these are all positive things and these are things we still do now, but I wasn't looking at my child as a black child. She was just my child. I knew she was black and we're black and that's cool. Um, and as time went on, uh, she started exhibiting some really disturbing signs. So examples would be, uh, she complained about her skin saying that it was ugly. She did not like her curly hair. She would say she wanted to have straight hair or yellow hair, which she meant blonde. Um, she, was hiding her black baby dolls. I found them all pushed into the back of her closet. And when I asked her about it, she said that she only wanted to play with the pretty white dolls. And I just felt like in a lot of circumstances, when things like that happen, people, you know, say it was the schools, it was this, or this person said something to them, but she had been under my care. And this, there was no one else who spoke this into her. And so I really took it very seriously. And I felt that pain deep inside because I thought, what is it that I'm doing or not doing? She spends the majority of her waking hours with me. What is going on? And um, over time, as we were, my husband and I were working through this, eventually we were faced with a situation where we were able to get some more information out of her. And what came out of that, that day, that conversation is she said that you say that we study important things in school and we only study white people. So therefore, yeah, those are the important people. And I mean, she wasn't saying it accusingly. She wasn't crying or anything. She was just like, yo, I mean, you asked me and this is a question. It's a fact, right? She thought we all would agree on that. And so I thought more about it and, you know, the music, the poetry, um, just, and even all the people that she was around because of our homeschooling community that we were really entrenched in. Um, And I, I had to step back and say, what have I done here? And how is it impacting her? I also had to 
lay down my own pride and thoughts because my first thought was, well, what's wrong with her? Because I was raised this way and my husband was raised this way and we're fine. But the more I thought about it, I thought about, wow, I'm really not that fine, but I learned how to wear the mask in order to survive Mm -hmm. in school. And she doesn't have the external pressure to um, figure that out. And so she's rejecting those feelings. Um, She's not able to wear that mask. So that kind of started me on this journey. And I thought, okay, what am I really doing? What's the point of all of this? And I kind of blew up our homeschool and started over. And I decided to make each choice not according to what I saw online or anything I had purchased or any plans that I had, but to look at each thing that I presented before my children and say, how might this be interpreted? And I found that most of what I was sharing with my kids wasn't necessarily problematic. It was incomplete. And so um, that meant that we could enjoy, we could continue enjoying poetry, but I needed her to hear voices of Black people, Black poets. We could continue enjoying beautiful music, but I needed her to understand that we've been making music and people like us have been making beautiful music from since the beginning Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that we create, we are creators and innovators and that all of the things that she enjoys, there's space there for us. I started talking about stories of our family. Like she loves the land and being outside in nature. And even then to talk to her about how our family and our ancestors and the relationship they had with the land. And it was freeing. It was very cathartic for me as a mother, as a woman. Um, but to see her come alive and to just perk up like a little wilted flower who's been that's been watered. Um, and we've kind of never looked back. And so the thing that I found that has really been important in my family is not about what we're going to exclude, but more about whose voices we're going to include. And so the more that we've done and the further along we've gotten, we've expanded beyond just Black voices. That's what really made the big change for her at first. But we've just become just a place, uh, a home that celebrates um who people are and how they show up in the world. Wow. Um, Yeah, I completely resonate with that, especially as a Black woman as well, uh, as a homeschooling parent. And, um, you know, it's true. It's in so many ways, this homeschooling journey is absolutely is our, it's child-centered, is for our kids, but in many different facets, it becomes about it is for us as well. And I say for us because I think it's truly a path that is opened up to us as mothers, our fathers and parents to learn through our kids more about ourselves and our own personal reflections and our, you know, our own histories, our experiences and how we've interpreted them and how we live them presently as an adult. Um, And I think it's a huge opportunity that we're afforded, but it's also really hard. (laughs) You know, it's not an easy thing many times because, um, you know, what your daughter said, I was like, you know, wow, because that's really deep. I don't know how old she was at that time, but for her to, and like you said, you, she was able to honestly tell you she felt safe and secure to say, well, this is just how it is. This is how I see it. You know, this is, I see you placing importance on historical figures and people around us, people in the past, but none of of them look like anyone who's close to me, who's, who I love and who, you know, who my family and myself as well. Um, yeah, that, you know, that obviously was hugely impactful for everyone in your family. So part of that as well is going forward with your kids. How do you, um, I, I'm try, trying to think how to say this as well. How do you think, how do you think it would have been different if you uh, just thought, well, we can, you know, because really when I see what you do, you you really did explore. You went full in and how you say now it's not just about, you know, wh- what we're going to include or not what we're excluding, it's what we're including. And mm-hmm. there's so much of our world, actually. <laughs> I mean, you think of you and I, you're, you're from the U.S., I'm from Canada, so North America and like really the Western hub, but how many other 
countries, cultures, languages, people are around us and out there, more so mm-hmm. than what we see or are present in North America. How are you continuing with that, especially as they grow older and you have like young until old, your youngest is six, your oldest is 12. So mm-hmm. what has that shifted at all as well? Are you saying you're also, who else do you include? What else does that look like now for you? Mm-hmm. Well, for, for our family, one, um, my husband and I have really committed to taking the children with us on international travel. We try to schedule long trips where we spend um, a period of time in a single culture. And part of our, you know, the idea there is to show our children um, how to appreciate the differences, but also really how to absorb without hearing it from us, just from their own experiences, the similarities. And so, you know, our first trip, we spent three months in Bolivia, South America, and the children got to see what it's like and how hard it is to communicate in another language, even when you're trying your hardest. They got to see also at the same time how easy it is to step outside and see a bunch of kids playing with a ball and how you can be included. Um, and w- despite the language barrier, and they got to see how hard it is to navigate in a community um, of people who have different belief systems and different ways of doing things, different things that they eat, how the music doesn't naturally sound beautiful to us at first, and how their art looks so different. But then they also got to see how wonderful it is to be embraced by people and how much the little old ladies loved them, just like the grannies they're used to seeing here in the States and would go up to them and do, 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 you know, and <laughs> my kids would just be so happy. And you can see that there is a love that people have for children the world over. And there were just these, um, you know, I just keep going back to the balance between differences and similarities. And so um, we were on what was supposed to be a three-month stint in Europe when COVID hit last year. We got stuck over there for a bit, but we were able to make our way back. But at the time, we were in Greece for most of that time. And, you know, they got to experience what what is life like here. And we get Airbnbs. We live in, in neighborhoods. We don't stay in tourist places. We don't eat out every night. We're cooking at home. So we're going to the market every day and um, taking public transportation and just experiencing life, you know, um, slow travel, I guess you would call it. And these are the things that we've prioritized um, and in terms of pouring into who our children will become. And people are always like, well, what about their lessons? And I have to say that, you know, most of our days spent there, the lessons are in life, in living, where we're walking, the people, the people that we meet and um, how we um, adjust to things that are uncomfortable and... Um, Yeah, those types of things. So I think that's one example of what we're doing with our children that kind of brings um, and kind of shows our level of commitment. I mean, we're pretty much all in at this point. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I I would say you guys are pretty much all all in for sure. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, so I know like a few things with COVID have shifted with travel as well too. Um, and now I, I know one of the things as well that has been really important for you before and it seems to continue to be is also literacy too. And mm-hmm. I know you, I think you're Charlotte Mason with an Afro. I love, yeah. I love that. And <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best description. Um, <laughs> so as literacy always are books, always been important to you? Is that something that you just naturally were like, you know, when we're homeschooling, I want to have wonderful literature available. I want to be able to tell beautiful stories. I want them to hear beautiful stories and that be a focal part of our learning. Or um, did you know about Charlotte Mason before specifically with that? Or is it just a love of booked literature that you had? So I think it's both. It's that I had a natural love for literature and I had that as a child and it was kind of beat out of me a bit at school um, Mm -hmm. and when I was in school. And 
what I knew when I started homeschooling before, I, or well, I'll say when I first started considering homeschooling before I knew anything about Charlotte Mason, what I did know was that when I was in school, it was very much about getting straight A's. That is what mattered to me. And that is the only thing that mattered. So a lot of rote memorization. I remember hating cumulative finals because even though I'd been getting A's all along throughout the semester, by the end of it, I can't remember the things mm-hmm. from the beginning of the semester. I, I yeah. already regurgitated that on the test. And now you're asking me to call up what I never learned, you know? And so I, my I strategy, was the same. Yes. Yeah, it was hard, right? So my strategy yeah, I did was not always, like those finals. No, they're horrible. My strategy was always to get as high, to go into the final with as high of an A as possible so that even if I didn't get a great grade on the final, I would still get an A. And I remember sitting there calculating the night before based on the points of the final, like how poorly I could do and still get an A in the class. And so I would aim for that. That's how much I would study. And so um, I, I remembered that I used to love to read and then I remembered hating to read. And I remember that I used to have curiosity and be inquisitive and lots of interests. And then I remember only caring about A's. And so the way that that served me in adulthood, I went to college and I did all the things, you know, scholarship and all the stuff that you're supposed to do and in grad school. And I had my dream job and oh my gosh, I hate this. And Mm. I was so I was panicked. Like, what do you do when you've been doing this all along? And the the pot at the end of the rainbow was supposed to be this job with all this money and you're doing it and you have it and you're miserable. And right. you switch jobs. I tried this, I tried that in my career field. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate corporate America. Like I'm making more and more and more money and I'm more and more and more miserable. And so when I had kids, what I did know was that I wanted them to actually want to learn and not just get an A. And then I was struggling with, well, how do you do that in school? Because I also want them, you know, there was this part of me that was still, it was still about me. And so, but I want my kids to be successful. I want them to, the teachers to like them. I want them to, you know, succeed in all these academic ways, but yet I don't want that to be their focus. And so one of the things that was alluring to me with homeschooling was the idea that I could take that off the table. And um, around that time that I was having these thoughts, I was introduced to the principles of Charlotte Mason and, you know, the idea that our children would not, you know, receive grades, but that they would really be learning. They would own their own learning and that a lot of it would come through books. I was like, yes, like good books. (laughs) Yes. You know, and that we're not going to give them these silly, you know, fill in the blanks or true false and all these worksheets and all the stuff, but that we would talk about the great books and they would have opportunities to share what they had learned and that learning would be so much more natural and enjoyable. And that's what we've received. I mean, that's what's happened. And it's just a completely different atmosphere. So books are important um, and in our home and our family, but they're not the most important thing. I always tell people, Charlotte Mason talks a lot about living books. And what I say is, but you have to make sure that living people are ranked above the living books Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. because sometimes we can get so, you know, indoctrinated that we become, that we lose some of the beauty that we were trying to pursue. Um, And so I, I focus on my living people in my home first and we back that up with living books. Mm -hmm. Mm, I love that. I, yeah. And it's so true because I think that's the core as well, right? As the relationships, it becomes about the heart life and not the academic life and making our choices around our values around our heart or living with our heart uh, instead of just living through or with our head. Uh, And I think the lives we lead between those two differences is a big thing as well. So yeah, living people as opposed to living books. That's right. I think that, you know, ranking it in that way helps with the decision-making and it, it reduces the amount of stress we have because um, academics, I guess, if you want to call it that in the traditional sense, are, are they look different in our home, but those things are important, but they're not the most important thing. And because I can say I succeeded academically with the almost nearly perfect record all through school and got this great plum job and was so miserable, I realized that's not really my number one goal for my kids. I First of all, I want to back them up in what they want. If there's a career that they want, I'm, I'm all for you. I'm your biggest cheerleader. But also I want you to have interests and passions. 
And I want my, my kids have those things now and I want to support them. And so I take those just as seriously as I do with the reading, writing, or arithmetic. And I think that's one of the things that people have seen as unique. And a lot of people told me, oh, that's fine while they're little, but when your kids get older and here I am with a middle schooler and I'm like, nope, she's still doing her thing, you know, (laughs) because I want her to be a whole person. And I think that whole people who are excited about life and have deep passionate interests and are like learn, like to learn things on their own, I think that they will naturally become successful as they define success. That might Mm -hmm. not be money. It might Mm -hmm. be something else. And um, so I just want to keep that alive for my kids. Um, And it can be scary because, you know, my husband, sometimes he's like, but can she make money off of that? And I'm like, (laughs) I was like, well, if you Google it, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily the top choices in the top (laughs) 10 or top 100. But you know what? Look at her. Yes, she can. Yes, she will be able to. Yep. Yeah, I I agree 100%. And that is something that I hear as well. Like, well, when they're little, it's one thing to, you know, to do those, to let them pursue their interests and have free play and, you know, do explore and do those things. But once they get into, you know, this age or they're probably going to buckle down, right? You're going to put them back in school. Or they're they they're going to be doing that, like you know the just the just the reassurance that you're you're going to change your mind. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's been funny, and I wasn't quite sure. I didn't think that was going to be the case, but I can say that it's not because you know what's interesting. The older the kids have gotten, the more that like my oldest, she knows what she needs to do. I don't have to like harp on her about this or you know, say, oh, you have to do this because she has her own goals. And Mm -hmm. sometimes those are different than what I would necessarily lay out, but they're, they're always good. I mean, she's, it's righteous. I'm like, go for it, you know, but (laughs) she, she gets up and does what she needs to do because she has things that she wants to do. She's like, you know, she's a mover and a shaker and, you know, she wants to do these things on her own. And so she gains the information and learning and skills that she needs to do them. And then I introduce her to new things as well. So I think it's kind of a little bit like a dance, you know, when, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're kind of dancing together. I'm introducing her to new things that she may not otherwise ever encounter to know that she does love them or that she doesn't, which is also great learning. Um, but then she also is very um, driven to, to figure out what it is she needs to do in order to reach her goals. And I think that to me is, that's a really big indicator of success, you know, for me that you can set, you know, your mind to something and then know what you need to do and then go do it. Um, I'm all for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is. And that is also the definition of a lifelong learner and an intrinsically motivated learner as well. So it's not just because she's left home and she's not with you or dad or she's not in a school doesn't mean that those things end or that her learning ends. It's continuous and she knows that she has the tools to ask questions, to research, to do whatever she needs to to learn more and to explore and to find out more as well because of the environment that you've provided for her. I think that's, that's what I'm banking on. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, you know, us both, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what we're hoping. Yeah. 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 I, I was actually recently, um, you know, because I'm always, this is my thing and, and I'm always researching and reading and finding, you know, looking for studies and information on, you know, self-directed learning and intrinsic motivation, um, unschooling and homeschooling and all different, all different ways of learning outside of the traditional classroom. And I had found actually a few good articles and research papers as well that I'd never found before. And I discovered as part of it, one of a researcher by the name of David Little, and he talks a lot about learning, a learner autonomy. And I really like the definition. And, and many times I compare it to self-directed learning and unschooling, but really I see how as well for your family, how you're still supporting self-directed learning. Like so much of it is the intrinsic motivation. And then, you know, he talks about that autonomy implies taking sole responsibility for the process of learning and acknowledging that any level of success depends on the individual rather than a larger system. But I think the key that he talks about is, he said, however, rather than being a burden to the learner, this responsibility is driven by a fundamental 
intrinsic motivation to understand their surrounding world. Mm. And (laughs) it is, yeah, I think so as well. And I hear so much of that as you're talking about your story of family finding the journey in homeschooling, your children doing what they love and how you support their passions and interests and that will carry on into life and as well as providing an, you know, a, a rich cultural knowledge and environment for them as well in not just, you know, in many ways, I think in many different cultures, through li- literature, but also through travel as well too, because that's their way, any learner's way of understanding their surrounding world. And then it's offering them that so much of an extended viewpoint of their surrounding world. Because sometimes our surrounding world can be very narrow. Um, Mm -hmm. We might not have anything different. And I think I've met people who've, you know, they've, someone like me has been the first time they've ever met someone like me, kind of, you know, their, their view is limited. Uh, and whatever circumstances or reasons why, uh, external or internal, but to have a surrounding world that's so rich is, um, you know, it's pretty beautiful and it's a great thing to provide for your children. So I want to say, well done, Amber. And thank you. It's, it's really good. It's, I mean, for them, that's the, such a a blessing as well too. So, so as I ask you more questions, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Um, so I actually, I want to know, do, are any of your kids not really into literature or reading? Um, I have my little one who can't read yet. (laughs) He was into (laughs) hearing stories, but you know, they're all interested, but in varying degrees. So of my four kids, I only have one. That's my second child, my daughter, my second daughter who identifies as a reader, so on her journal, she put a sticker that says book nerd. She put that on her <laughs> journal. And so that is part of how she would describe herself if you were to ask her to tell you about herself. My oldest would describe herself as a creative and an artist. And she also, to me, she is a reader. She lo- she loves to read and she reads a lot and, and enjoys it. She's in a book club. and But see, that's not those are not the words she used to just, uses to describe herself. That's not part of what she sees as her identity. So I tell to try to describe them the way that they describe themselves. Um, and so, yeah, they they have varying degrees. My boy, he loves to read, but only what he wants to read. So he's not really down with my lists <laughs> and my <laughs> suggestions. And, you know, he's like, uh, leave me alone. And when left alone, he will pick off the shelf or from wherever what he wants to read. And again, this is a struggle. Like, I don't want to make everything that I talk about seem like it's just a walk in the park. Like, everything's so easy. I have to... Wait a minute, is that? Doesn't all play out perfectly for you? People are just like, oh, your kids are just reading and walking around in the woods and everything. And I'm just like, okay, you don't know. First of all, I had to get macaroni and cheese this morning in order to get them to go to the woods. And, um, you know, he does not want to read the, the last five books that I suggested. And, you know, so it's they're still people. And it's funny because, you know, Charlotte Mason talks about children as born persons. And Mm -hmm. that's something that I have to constantly remember. It kind of goes back to my prioritizing living people. And um, they, the children, I can have ideas and, and they could be great ideas. But with, if I have to force my kids to do this, like, sit down, you're going to read this book and you're going to like it. (laughs) You know, at some point you have to realize, like, what are you really doing there? You're pleasing yourself. Like I am, Mm -hmm. it makes me feel good if he reads this, you know, highbrow book or this book that I find interesting that will make me feel good. Or perhaps that will make me look good um, when I can tell people that my child read this book. But if he hates the book, um, it damages our relationship. Um, and he's not going to be able to take the ideas that I'd hoped he would get from it and things like that. So I have my ways. I mean, oftentimes he'll take something that I read aloud a lot more than he will reading it himself and things like that. But yeah, to answer your question, they're all various. They all have various degrees of loving literature. And for those who are less likely to want to do it, um, choosing what they get to read has been very important for them. 
Mm, okay. Yeah, definitely. So, and then again, supporting those interests and passions and that, that intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. So I know, I know with Charlotte Mason, she talks about um, laying a feast, you kind of mm-hmm. providing that, you know, the choices and the resources there, like they are going to enjoy you and sit down for a good meal. Where did you, when you first started looking for other forms, other literature and other um, examples that have better representation. Where Were there places that you were pointed to or that you found that you were like, I had no idea that this treasure trove was here. Um, we need to hear more about this or this is a great access point. Where did you start finding all of those, that part of the feast? Oh, wow. So I started um, distinctly remembering starting with poetry because poetry was something I discovered as a homeschooling mother and my kids already loved it. And I liked the poems we were reading. They were nice. My kids thought they were nice too. But I was thinking there's something here. Like I started thinking back to like poems that I had heard before that really spoke to me and my culture. Um, And I started sharing some of those with the kids and some of them were funny. We were sharing laughs. Some of them were so familiar. The foods, the aromas, the music, the things that were described. And I remember those things from my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. And there was something that attracted my children to them. And so we started with poetry and music and art. Um, And honestly, I think in hindsight, I started with those things because changing the books was the hardest thing for me because I thought I was using this like beautiful list of classics. Like these are the books that the most learned people would know and read. Mm. And so I was not confident. And so I thought, well, I'll start with these extras. I mean, in a Charlotte Mason education, they shouldn't be thought of that way, but that's what I was thinking. And then when I saw how much richness was there, how much fun we were having, how connected and how like enthusiastic the kids were and how excited I was. I was like, oh yes, like this is speaking to me. This is good. I started, yeah, (laughs) just felt yeah. so right. And yeah. so then I started putting my toe in the water with, you know, a couple books here, a couple books there. And it took me a while. It was a transition until I finally got to the point where I am today, where I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like I can, I can choose whatever I want. <laughs> there is no master <laughs> list for this home. You know, there is no master list for these children. Um, And that confidence that built slowly over time as I got to see my children wake up to the familiar um, is kind of what um, is where that's the path we took. So in terms of finding books, it was a real struggle and it was very difficult. Lots and lots of late night hours online. Um, hunting books down, a lot of books that were out of print that I saw that seemed wonderful. And, you know, the library and just buying bunches and bunches of books, some of which I didn't enjoy or didn't like and had to get rid of. And yeah, it was a struggle. And I've tried to, you know, make that easier for the moms coming behind me. It's been really the whole mission of what, of the work that I do. I mean, it would be much easier for me to just do what I do with my own kids and move on, keep it moving. But I try to document the things that have resonated most in our home and to share them. And um, that's kind of where my whole platform started. That was literally the only purpose of it. Mm. Well, I think it's like, it's a huge asset. It's a wonderful thing that you do for the community because, um, well, number one, I think you like bringing awareness, but also providing that information and resources too, where I agree. Like, I think, you know, I, it, there's, it, it's true. There's so much power in seeing or empowerment. I think I want to, is the word I want to use when you see, when you're reading or seeing things where people look like you or live like you or similar to you, right? It's, um, and then also not only that, where people who don't look like you see people like you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's also, there's so much to the journey as well in hearing the stories of triumph and beauty and creation. And, you know, they it's, you know, it's, it's really, it is so important. It is really, truly important. 
And I know there's a lot out there and it hasn't always been accessible. Like I think when we first started homeschooling, we had moved, my, my dad's from Jamaica. And so my dad still lives in Jamaica and I have a lot of family still in Jamaica. And we decided to relocate from Canada back to Jamaica. And I remember that was one of the things being back there, because I hadn't been living there since I was really young, that as a homeschooling parent, I was, I thought, I was almost excited. I thought there would be so much available and there wasn't. And it Mm -hmm. was really disheartening and sad because I thought, you know, you're talking about poetry. So I don't know if you've heard of her. There's a Jamaican poet called Louise, her name is Louise Bennett. Mm -hmm. And she is, I, I discovered her when I was like, I think 14 or 13. And she is um, like, she amazing, amazing woman. All of her poetry is about Jamaica. It's usually told in Patois. So it's not, you know, it's, and it's just the color and richness that she is able to incorporate, especially because all of her poems or most of her poems are in Patois as well. Um, and I remember discovering Louise Bennett and just being, you know, it was never reading poetry before and then falling in love with poetry because of her and because it wasn't like the poetry I had to read before mm-hmm. that I wasn't able to connect with before as well. And then when we moved back there, it was it was actually really limited. Their library, their school library was the same as a community library. And, you know, I, I've said, I think my kids had more books in their home in Canada than books in the community school library there. Mm. And by going to the store to find a bookstore, it, you know, there wasn't very much selection. Uh, it was basically like we had to go online. And at that time it was um, uh, Apple, Apple books. Like there was, wasn't really anything else at that time. So yeah, the, now there is so much more offered and it's great that you're providing different ways and different authors and books and resources as well that that showcase and have, um, you know, what, what is offered now around the world too. So yeah, yeah. I, I really love that. For sure. I think it's been, you know, what I found, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of people I know there are that are very resistant to the things that I try to share, but that's not who I tend, that's not who's usually following me yeah. or interacting with me. But I yeah. found that most families want this. When yes, they hear me, they're they like, yeah. yes, I, I, yes, that makes sense to me. Yes. But busy, right? We're busy or over scheduled, overbooked. It's so, so many things that we have on our plates. It's just like the idea that they would have to go and spend all night researching to come up with the rest, you know, the best titles, then there's, there's the barrier there. And mm-hmm. I think by removing the barrier, like it's one of the ways that for me, that it's a form of activism to me is the mm-hmm. idea that I'm going to help from my home. I can't go do all the things I wish I could maybe do, but I, from my home, I'm going to help by removing this barrier to help other people to do what they, what their hearts are telling them is right. So I think, um, yeah, that's been, it's been an exciting thing for me. So do you, do you have very many people that disagree with what you share and what you do? Um, I wouldn't say very many who openly do, but yeah, I get messages and most of what I get, um, the comments I get are from people who don't understand. So I know once I made a post that really helped people to um, get get it a little bit more in that they were saying, well, isn't you, you know, the fact that you only read black books with your kids, isn't that just as bad as me only reading white books? And, you know, to that, I would say, what makes you think that I only read That's black books reading. with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, like, yeah. it's just not true. Yeah. And so yeah. I just thought that that was interesting that that's where their thought told them. And so, where, you know, that's where their thoughts took them. So what I explained it as, as a woman who has a blog about baking and she shares recipes about baking, she's passionate about baking. No one assumes that her children only eat sweets. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so We're having cake um, for breakfast. We're having pie for lunch. Yes. And we're having cookies for dinner. Right. right. And I'm just like, that's silly. I was like, I'm passionate about Black literature and music and poetry and art. Yes. And I share about that because that's what my brand is. That's what I blog about because I'm trying to share what's harder to find. But within my home, 
that my whole point is the inclusivity. So how hypocritical would that be for me to then be exclusive even towards my own people? So Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that um, a lot of times when people disagree, it's out of a lack of understanding more so than, you know, a theoretical disagreement. And, and sure, I know that there are people who just right off the bat, they're just like, I can't hear from you. And what my beloved Americana, and you know, what are you doing to it? And all of that. And to that, you know, I, I just would like to, say that nothing is more um, American, and this stands for a lot of countries, nothing is more American than its diversity. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what this country was built on. That's so, what, yeah. yeah, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a fallacy, but um, I, I, I feel like listening to the voices of many different people and not just in our own country, but across the world can do nothing but add goodness and light. I don't see how it could have any negative repercussions. Yeah. And I think that's also, that's why I love travel as well. And because it's not just understanding the differences, but it's also being able to live and be present with the similarities that we have Mm -hmm. within those differences. And we all, and I think of all the places that we've been to and, and lived in or traveled to, that there's always similarities as much as we may seem so different. Like there is still, so I think of the differences between, you know, when we lived in Jamaica and then we lived in South Korea and you could think of that being two extreme differences <laughs> in everything, whether food, you know, you name it, language, but there were still strong similarities. And when well, most would assume that there wouldn't be, but there are a lot of similarities. And that's the interesting thing is actually how we are so similar in the world and connected. And uh, there's so much, I think then that is many times that is just, there's a, a, I I don't know why we're very quick to misunderstand instead of taking the time to, to understand and to see where those similarities are, but... Yeah, yeah, definitely. It requires a lot of patience, but yeah, it I just, does. I patience and empathy. To, yeah. yeah, that's it. I just choose to stay the course and continue, you know, stating the positive and, you know, restating and restating again and rather than being combative. And I think people who are open to it will be, you know, will benefit from it. And those who aren't, I think that's okay too. So it's yeah. been going well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are all in our own part, parts of our journey for sure. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that, um, I would love if you could also, well, I'm going to ask you to, to, to share where we can connect with you, um, where we can learn more about you. But first, um, I, would, I would ask if you could leave any words of advice or encouragement to families that are looking to raise self-aware and loving kids in this world, what would you say? What words of encouragement would you leave for them? Um, Well, two things. One, I would say that I think it's really great to be led by a certain, you know, educational philosophy or ideas, but never become a slave to them. Those Mm -hmm. are tools that can help you um, assimilate information and kind of figure out what you're going to do when you wake up in the morning. But at the end of the day, we're all charged with um, raising the children that are set before us. And we are not charged with our um, identity being wrapped up in our style of homeschooling or the name of it or mm. or anything like that. Um, so I would say that's my first thing. It's okay to, to be led by something, to get ideas from something, but make sure that your children are always, that your children always come first. And the other thing I would say is that um, children are going to listen to what they see us doing not what they hear us saying. Um, And so if you want your children to be loving children who reach out towards others and um, celebrate diversity and kinship in equal measure, then you have to demonstrate that and be that person too. Um, So I think those are the things that I would share most. Wise words. I agree as well. Absolutely. So if we are going to learn more about Amber O'Neill Johnston, let me say that one more time, Amber O'Neill Johnston, (laughs) Mm -hmm. where can we, you have your blog and Instagram as well, where can we find you? So I blog at heritagemom.com and uh, you can find me on Instagram at heritagemomblog. 
Okay, fantastic. And I'll include those in the show notes as well. So uh, you can just go to the show notes and and, uh, tap those links and be sent to there. I'll I'll link them as well on there. So they're easily accessible. Is there anything else that you have coming up that you wanted to share with the audience within like the month of December or before the new year begins? I will be relaxing in the month of December. <laughs> good, so, good. Join me in taking a break. <laughs> That's much needed. Uh-huh. That's a whole other conversation about uh-huh. slowing down and and and, st- and taking a break in self care as well, and, and modeling that for our kids too. Sure. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm happy you're taking a break and and enjoy it because I know you usually have some great projects on the go as well. So yes, thank you so much. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) All right, Amber, thank you so much for taking the time. I want to give you the time to honor the time and let you get back to your family and, and what you're creating. And I will be in touch again soon. I And if anybody has any questions, reach out to Amber and I'd love to hear your feedback on this episode too. So thanks, Amber. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. 